Whitey in Santa Monica was in custody in the courthouse too. Connolly was also locked up, doing 40 years in Florida for helping Whitey kill a potential witness, someone who could have exposed Whitey's Faustian partnership with the FBI decades earlier. Whitey's younger brother Bill was a few miles away, getting ready to leave his South Boston home for the short drive to the courthouse. Whitey rode the elevator to the fifth floor, surrounded by deputy U.S. marshals, who kept their sunglasses on indoors. As he waited in an anteroom for his case to be called, Michael Donahue's widow, Patricia, sat in courtroom 10 with her three sons, Michael Jr., Sean, and Tommy, who had grown up without a father. The special agent in charge of the FBI in Boston walked in and took an empty seat on the right side of the gallery, directly in front of the Donahues, but said nothing to them. He didn't know them or any of the families of Whitey's victims, who sat clustered together. When Whitey shuffled into the courtroom, he quickly spotted his brother Bill out in the spectators' gallery, and mouthed a cheerful hello even before he made it to the defendant's table. For many years, one of the most powerful politicians in Massachusetts, Bill smiled and nodded back. Whitey's $822,188 in cash, hidden in the wall of his apartment in Santa Monica, was of no use to him now. The thirty guns hidden in those same walls proved useless, relics of a time when he'd always had a gun within easy reach. There had been no defiant, bloody standoff with the law before his arrest, a drama that would have better served his legend. His years of gunplay behind him, the old man surrendered quietly and almost with a smile. The whitey bulger standing there in the courtroom, in his ill-fitting blue jeans, white smock and sneakers, looked like any other casually dressed octogenarian or a Southern California retiree, which is what he had been just a few days before. Over the next few weeks there would be more court appearances, as the feds tried to figure out what to do with him. Each time the black SUV drove him up the Southeast Expressway, the main road into Boston, taking him past some of the spots where he had buried his secrets. To the right, next to a railway bridge over the Neponset River, were the soggy graves of Deborah Davis and Tommy King. A little farther up, under the sand at Teenan Beach, there was Polly McGonagall's. Off to the left of the highway, beneath some mounds of dirt across from the firefighter's hall, there was the oversized makeshift grave that held Deborah Hussey and Bucky Barrett and John McIntyre. They were just six of the nineteen people Whitey was charged with killing. Whitey hid the bodies to lessen the risk of prosecution. It's never good business to leave a corpse behind. No body, no case. But he also did it to preserve his image in the town, as South Boston natives call their neighborhood. It was especially important to Whitey, that his role in the demise of the two women remain hidden. He was a criminal, he would readily admit, but he was an honorable criminal. Gangsters with scruples don't kill women, and Whitey insists to this day that he did not kill Deborah Davis or Deborah Hussey. He says the last years of his life will be spent clearing his name, not just in the killing of the women, but in this whole matter of his being an FBI informant. I never put one person in prison in my life, he claimed in a letter to a friend. This is the illusion Whitey lived by, 
and where his legend as the good bad guy began. He will most likely die in prison, no matter how he plays his final hand. Nothing seems more certain to die there with him than that legend. There have been other books written about Whitey Bulger, many of them told through the eyes of people who worked for him or pretended to. Other, more serious accounts were written when knowledge of Whitey was limited, or in some cases incomplete or incorrect. This book aims to provide the first complete and authoritative accounting of this man, of his rise, reign, and final reckoning. We aim, in short, to present Whitey in full. Many descriptions of him and much of the lore about him have traded in caricature, making him a two-dimensional figure more monstrous than human if you hate him, more human than monster if you don't. Whitey was more complicated, more compelling, more frightening than that.